take note of that. And then this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we are going to be streaming the Brian Call Conference uh, out of Bend, Oregon, up there uh, north of us. Uh, on Thursday, we're going to start streaming that conference at 1 o'clock. And then on Friday and Saturday, it begins at 1045. And we're going to have snacks and drinks and coffee and things. And if you're interested in coming out, uh, out on the uh, bulletins, we have some schedules of that. I think on the bulletin board here and out there on the foyer. And you're welcome if you're thinking about coming out to grab one of these and then to come join us. It will be down the hallway in the youth room. And uh, we don't really know if we're going to have, a, you know, many or just a few or whatever, but uh, we want to stream that. It's a phenomenal ministry. And uh, just talking about issues of discernment. Uh, I know they're going to be talking about biblical creation, six-day creation, and just a whole lot of awesome subject matters that people need to get grounded in. So uh, take note of that. And then uh, we're excited about this. We've been doing this for a number of years, but we've never really kind of put it out beforehand. Uh, Twice a year, there's a a mailer called the Flavor Ad. It used to be called the Clipper Ad. And uh, this thing goes out to 38,000 households. And uh, the awesome thing about uh, using that is that people don't throw it away generally because it's full of coupons for pizza and Mexican food. If you live in Itasca, you know, that's just a few burgers and whatnot. So uh, discount tattoo or mattress. Uh, (laughs) So people keep those and we use that. uh, We usually get the back cover or front cover for Resurrection Sunday which is probably our biggest outreach of the year. And then for the last three or four years, we have taken the back cover of that and we've just made it a gospel track and we got Romans Row on there and how people can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So on September 2nd or the week of September 2nd, that's gonna be mailed out to 38,000 homes in your bulletin. There's a small picture of that and uh, it has the potential really of reaching over 100,000 folks. So please be keeping that in prayer. And uh, it's just our prayer that uh, somewhere during the six weeks between the next time that's sent out, whether it's someone cutting out a coupon or just throwing it to the side, uh, you know, picking that thing up, that they would go over that and, and uh, you know, read about what Jesus Christ has done for them and their need for him and call out to him just through getting that in, in the mail. And so uh, can we agree to pray for that? Can we say Amen. That God will just bless that. And, and so take your bulletin there and stick that in your Bible or somewhere just as a reminder to you. And let's be lifting, up that, lifting that up to the Lord over the next few weeks. So check out the rest of the bulletin there, different things going on and so forth. But uh, let's get into the Word this morning. Last week we started into John chapter 11 and we started the chapter by talking about Lazarus and Mary and Martha, his sisters. And we saw that Lazarus was sick. Uh, we saw that the sister sent for Jesus who was out in the Judean wilderness uh, as the Jews were plotting to kill him and he'd gone out there to minister more to those disciples of John the Baptist and others out there. And then the Lord coming there to Bethany where they lived in his perfect timing. Uh, we know once he arrived that Lazarus had passed and Martha goes out hearing that Jesus has come and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died And then the Lord talks to her about him being the resurrection and the life, about him being the one that brings eternal life and begins to talk to Martha about that. And then he asks her if she believes that. And we saw her without hesitation. And we'll start this morning kind of linking that to where we are, but her uh, absolutely responding without hesitation that she believes that he is the son of God from heaven, that he is the resurrection and the life. Well, this morning, we're going to pick it up from there. And we're going to see Jesus, uh, you know what, coming to a household and to an area uh, with uh, much grieving. And then the Lord coming in, grieving not only over the death of Lazarus, but just really what's unfolding there. Um, You know, it seems like that uh, even Mary and Martha and these others around him had uh, quickly forgotten, it seems, some of the promises of the Lord and so forth. And we're going to talk about that, the things that were bothering the Lord's heart, the thing that was troubling him as he showed up here to this scene. And then we're going to see Jesus calling them uh, to act by faith. 
Uh, where again, we see them questioning, and Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And the Lord tells them to do something, and then we're going to see, instead of them acting immediately, them saying, well, Lord, why should we do that? And, you know, it's a pattern of our life. And uh, we're going to talk about wanting to say yes to the Lord and not putting him off or questioning the call that he has on our lives. And then absolutely, uh, as we talked about Lazarus being sick and then Lazarus dying, we're going to see this morning Lazarus being called forth. And really in it, we see a picture of our salvation. And, uh, you know, part of the call that God has on us to be loose from those grave clothes and put on Christ and move forward in him. And then from there, we'll talk about really the, the, the main reason that it seems the Lord allowed Lazarus to pass and be in the tomb for four days for those unbelieving Jews to see the Lord do this mighty miracle in the name of the Father. And we've seen this throughout the book of, the John, of John, the Lord pointing them to the witness of his signs and wonders done in the name of the Father to bring them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And praise God at this point, We're going to see some of those Jews coming to faith in the Lord, but sadly, others hardening their heart more to the things of God and really getting in a worse place than they were before Lazarus had even been resurrected from the dead. So a lot to look at here. Uh, We're just going to take the text a few verses at a time and make our way down through it, and uh, hopefully we'll just leave here built up more in the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice verse 28. In fact, let's start there in verse 25 and Jesus is talking to Martha she's ran out hearing that Jesus is outside of Bethany coming into town it says Jesus said to her I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me though he may die he shall live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this she said to him yes Lord I believe that you are the Christ the son of God who has come into the world And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And last week we talked about the fact that, you know what, as Jesus said to her, do you believe this? That's the question that he has for all of us. What do we believe concerning the person of Jesus Christ? Do we acknowledge that he is God, that he is the son of God, that he has come from heaven, that indeed he is the resurrection and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him? It is the greatest question that all of us will have to you know, answer in our lifetime. And beautifully, as she's asked this by the Lord, she doesn't sit down and say, well, let me think about it. Though it is good if someone does not believe in him to sit down and think about it because a lot of people aren't thinking about it at all. They're not even considering their latter end. But praise God, she's in a place where she doesn't even need to think about it because she's already come to faith in the Lord and she's seen the goodness of God. And so without hesitation, without wavering, she replies, you know what, yes, Lord, I believe I believe that you are the Christ, you are the Son of God, that you are the one, she's saying, you are the one that was prophesied that would come into the world. You are Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior of the world. She puts forth this awesome profession of faith. And then notice again, 28, it says, when she said this, or after she said these things, it says, she went her way. And listen, first and foremost, this is just giving us insight to what was unfolding You know what? She had gone out to Jesus. She had brought her burden out to the Lord. The Lord ministered to her. And now she's going back and she's going back to get her sister as it seems the Lord had asked for Mary to come to go talk to her. So she goes her way in that sense. But you need to know as well, listen, nothing is written in the way that it was written by mistake in the scriptures. And when it talks about her going her way beautifully with Mary and Martha, We see them having some ups and some downs like all of us do. But absolutely, listen, her way was the way of the Lord. She was a disciple of the Lord. And as Jesus had proclaimed that he's the resurrection and the life, absolutely, he also declared that he was the way and the truth. There in John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And even in her saying, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe you are the resurrection. I believe you are the life. Listen, this was also the proclamation of her saying, I believe you are the truth and I believe you are the way. 
And with true disciples of Jesus, it's not just a you know, verbal confession, but it's seen in their life that, again, their way is the Lord's way. And it's not as saying, this is my way, Lord, come follow. But Lord, I want to follow your way. I want to be a follower of you. And listen, following him and walking in his way is so much better than walking in our way. Because, listen, we're all walking in one way or the other. It's just A and B. It's either the way of the Lord or our way. And people talk about all roads, you know, and all these different kind of verbiages, all these various paths. Listen, there's two. There's the wide road that goes to the wide gate that leads to destruction. And then there's the narrow road that goes to, again, that narrow gate that leads to everlasting life. And this is a dangerous thing for people to walk in their own way because, listen, the word of God declares in Proverbs 14 and 12 and in other places it says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. And there's so many folks running around in the way that seems right to them versus the only way that's right of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way of the Lord, again, it is a way of life that ends in life and that way that seems right to us. Listen, no matter how right it may seem, if it's not the way of Jesus Christ, absolutely it's going to bring forth death. I love Psalm 191. It says, blessed are, the, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart, they also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. And there's a blessing walking in the way of the Lord. There's a blessing getting our eyes upon him. Let me ask you this morning, what way are you walking in? That's something we need to consider. The psalmist in that same psalm, in Psalm 119, 11, he says, I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. And we need to be thinking about our lives and our way, not being over-consumed with us. Listen, if you want to be consumed something, be consumed with the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the midst of that, we need to step back and we need to be asking ourselves, listen, in what way am I walking in? If Jesus is my Lord, am I walking after him? Am I taking up my cross daily and following him? Am I one that am leaning on my own understanding or am I acknowledging the Lord in all of my ways, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, knowing he'll make my path straight? Am I taking my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and putting down those thoughts that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10? What way am I walking in? And look at, again, the psalmist said, I thought about my ways. And as he thought about his ways, obviously he saw that his ways weren't the Lord's ways. So he says, I turn my feet to your testimonies to walk in your way. And if you're in that place where you've gone away from walking in the way of the Lord beautifully, you know what? You can be a thousand steps or a million steps away from that way, and you know how many steps it takes to get back to that way? It just takes one step to say, Lord, I want to get back to walking with you. And if you drifted from him this morning, listen, come before him humbly. Ask the Lord to meet you where you're at. Ask the Lord to crucify and put those things in check that have come before him. Ask him to strengthen you today, to empower you today, to give you a fresh endurance and unction and zeal for him, and then get up and be a disciple of the Lord once again, not just in confession, but in action. So from here, she goes her way, then it says, she secretly called Mary her sister. And we should ask the question, why did she secretly have to go call Mary? And it's most likely because some of those Jews that had come there to comfort them, and we talked about it last week, how, listen, they were doing a good thing in that, but even, listen, as they did a good thing in that, many of these Jews were the same Jews that were either wanting to kill Jesus or they weren't opposing those who were wanting to kill Jesus. And so this is Mary here not being a coward, but Mary using wisdom, saying, I want to go secretly, or Martha using wisdom, wanting to go secretly out to Mary to say, hey, listen, Jesus is coming into town. There's some folks back home that want to harm him. And so I want to go to you secretly. I want to go to you with wisdom, as we've been called to be gentle as doves, 
<clears throat> and shrewd as serpents, she's going forth as a shrewd serpent to tell this to Mary. And I think as well, listen, this wasn't just about, <clears throat> excuse me, them being protected from these individuals who could easily turn on a dime from comforting to confronting. But I think also, <clears throat> sorry, wanting to give opportunity for Mary and Jesus to talk without all the crowds getting in the way ahead of time. And I have to think about the fact that God has called us daily to find a secret place with the Lord, to find that time to be with Him. As, again, we're called to walk in that way, and that starts by spending time with Him. And so she calls her sister secretly to go to the Lord, and then she says to Him, again, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And not only was he calling for Mary, we talked about this last week, Revelation 3.20. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and whoever opens that door, I will come and dine with him and he with me. He's saying, I want to dine with you. How are we responding to that? Verse 29, and as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. And this is awesome. Listen, her response is much like Martha's response when the Lord said, do you believe? She responded without hesitation, yes, Lord, I believe. And then as Martha goes there to Mary and says, the Lord's calling for you, uh, she quickly arose and came to him without hesitation. And this is opposite of the more usual response when the Lord says, come, when the Lord says, do this. Oftentimes, the more usual response, and in fact, we'll see this response later on in our text here is, well, why, Lord? Or I got other things to do, Lord. Um, I can't get to that right now, Lord. Jesus talks about this again in his ministry in Luke nine fifty nine. It says, then Jesus said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who were at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And if you found when the Lord says do this or do that, whether it's in his general will and the word or something that the Holy Spirit is specifically pressing on your heart, have you found that it's easy to find an excuse to put the Lord off? I mean, the enemy is always popping up excuses of why we can put God off. Why we don't need to say yes to him now. Why we don't need to be walking in obedience to him now. But we need to know this morning that none of those excuses are valid and none of them are wise. They all rage against against God's wisdom. And if you've come to that place again where you have have gotten a habit of putting the Lord off, um, of, of... coming up with a reason why you can't say yes to him now you need to know that every time you ignore him your heart gets a little bit harder that's why in hebrews it said if you hear his voice today to respond don't harden your heart like they did there in the wilderness remember the lord said get up and go into canaan and they had all these reasons why they couldn't do that and what ended up being the result of that they were in a wilderness for 40 years And there's a lot of people, they say yes to the Lord and they ask him to be their God. And then the Lord says, listen, I have this for you and that for you. Go and walk and follow after me. And they start saying, well, I can't, Lord, or no, Lord. We got reasons. It's too great for us, Lord, and so forth. And they end up spending their walk with the Lord here on earth in a wilderness. There's no fruits of the Holy Spirit. There's no torrents of living water. And I really believe in these days that we are living in, the Lord is wanting to pour out living water. I believe he's wanting to bring a latter rain upon his remnant. I believe he's wanting to bring a new wine, so to speak. But Jesus said that, listen, you can't put new wine in old wine sacks or they'll burst. And if your heart's become an old wine sack from saying no to the Lord, and it's all, you listen, cracked up and, and, and dried up and so forth, then listen, come to the Lord this morning and repent of that stuff and ask him to refurbish the wine sack of your heart so that there can be a new wine poured out in it, that there can be new fruit and absolutely a new joy that comes from responding to the Lord. Listen, there's always a joy that comes when you say yes to the Lord. When you say, I'm gonna step out of faith. When you say, listen, there's 10 reasons why I could say no, but the Lord says to go, so I'm gonna say yes to him. Say yes to him. 
Get up quickly and go after him like Mary's doing here. Verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. She heard he was coming to town. Remember, she went out to meet him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Uh, They were wrong about that. Listen, she wasn't going to the tomb where there were dead men. She was going out to Jesus, to the living God. And listen, that's a good place to be going. And then awesomely, listen, as she went out to seek after Jesus, it says that some followed after her. And it's beautiful, listen, when you're walking with the Lord and there's people that are drawn to follow after you because Christ is in you, even though they're not even aware of what that even means. Because again, she's not going out to where dead men were. She's going out to the living God. She's following after Jesus. And some of them felt compelled to go and follow after her. We need to know that everywhere we go, listen, we're putting forth an aroma of the Lord Jesus Christ. At least we should be. And as we follow after him, again, there is an aroma that goes out from us. And there's going to be some folks that are drawn to that. Uh, maybe not even know what they're drawn to. And we want to be in a place that from there, as we'll see some of these individuals follow her, but they come to faith in the Lord, that we absolutely, as we're putting forth that aroma of Christ, want to then bring them to the Lord and tell them, sort of speak, about our cologne that they're being drawn to. Listen to 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ." And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. We, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being slaved, uh, saved and among those who are perishing. To one we're an aroma of death leading to death. And to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And some of these are drawn to follow after Mary as she's going out to Jesus. And there's going to be some folks that come into your life as you're following the Lord. You're going to put forth an aroma of death and they're not going to want anything to do with you. Have you ever experienced that as a follower of Christ? And there's going to be others that are going to be drawn to that aroma leading to life. And listen, that's the product of being around the Lord. You're going to smell like the Lord if you're around the Lord. And that's a good thing to smell like. Tell people about your cologne. When they start asking you, you know, why are you different and so forth? I had someone last week saying, you know, what, what is your cologne? That smells so good. I'm like, I don't know. Ask my wife. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Go ask her. Verse 32. It says that when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, this is awesome. She fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is a good place for Mary to be. We saw earlier in the chapter that she was sitting around the house. And now we see Mary more in true form coming and sitting at the Lord's feet. Like we see her there in Luke where there's Martha running around and Mary's sitting at his feet. And he says, Mary's chosen the better thing. Or what was referred to earlier in the chapter, which we'll read about next week in chapter 12, where she comes to the Lord's feet and she anoints him uh, with, with uh, her, her dowry, with with uh, perfume and so forth, preparing him for his death and to be buried in a tomb and so forth. She's in a good place to be. Listen, it's a good place to be at his feet. And listen, it's also good to be honest with the Lord at his feet. And she's being honest. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We can bring our feelings before the Lord. We can bring our emotions before the Lord. We talked about it last week, 1 Peter 5, 7, where the scripture says, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. And she had a care here. She had a burden. She was grieving over her brother's death. And she brings this before the Lord and she brings her feelings before the Lord. Listen, we can come to his feet and we can bring all those emotions to him. Is that not a good thing? But listen, in doing that, we also need to know that our way is not his way, that our thoughts aren't his thoughts, that listen, his ways are higher than our ways. And we can bring our feelings before him, and we should do that, but we also got to know that our feelings are not always right. And in fact, oftentimes our feelings are wrong. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked 
Who can know it? Well, God can know it. And so it's awesome that she's bringing what's on her heart before the Lord. We talked about it last week when Martha first went out to Jesus earlier in the chapter. Remember, she said the exact same thing to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. And we talked about how these two must have been talking about the Lord behind his back because they say the exact same thing. And in a way, they were both putting some of the blame upon the Lord. If you would have been here, none of this would have happened. And they're forgetting, listen, we're appointed a certain number of days. Death came from the hand of man when he sinned there in the garden and put forth his hand and took that fruit and ate of it. And life only comes from the hand of God, who absolutely would go and die on a tree for us. Man ate from a tree and death came and our God came and died on a tree and rose from the grave that life could come. But it's good she's bringing it before the Lord. It's good that she's, again, grappling with it before the Lord. This is a dangerous thing to get in that place where you start blaming God and you won't come and approach God. Well, God, I'm just angry at you, so I'm going to be over here. And, you know, no, bring that before the Lord. Bring your emotion to God. Bring your feelings before the Lord. Cry out before him, but also come wanting to be healed by him and broken before him and ask him to minister to your heart and get into the scriptures and absolutely get his truth before you because the truth will set you free. And those emotions oftentimes can destroy your life. They can wreck you. They can rob from you. And so she comes before him and again, lays it out before him. In verse 33, it says, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. The Lord's troubled by everything that's unfolding here, it seems. I think there was many reasons why he was troubled. I think first and foremost, he was troubled because, again, death came from man's sin in the garden. And that sin was that act of rebellion when man said, I don't need you, God. I'm going to eat of this tree and become my own God, and I'm going to be my own Lord and my own master. And listen, everything got ugly from that day forward. And it grieves God's heart. I think about in the day of Noah. It says there in Genesis 6, 5, it says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, And that every intent of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on earth and he was grieved in his heart. And absolutely, listen, as there's death there, it grieves God's heart because that death came for man's sin. And again, there in the day of Noah, it hit an all-time high at that point in the world where their mind was on evil continually. Interesting, Jesus said in the day of his return, it would be like the days of Noah. And it seems we're coming to a place where there's so many people, their minds and their thoughts are on evil only continually. And listen, that's not just necessarily a mind consumed with pornography or violence or entertainment. Listen, that's just a mind that's void of God. If the Lord's not on your thoughts, if the Lord, again, isn't before you, whatever that mind is on, listen, that could be very problematic. We want to be a people that are thinking on him continually. And so the Lord shows up, and again, the product of man's rebellion, maybe not necessarily Lazarus' direct rebellion, but just the fall of man is before him, and that grieves his heart, that troubles him, that puts groaning in his spirit. I think he's also troubled here because Martha had already said to the Lord earlier, I know he'll be resurrected on the last day. She knew that, but oftentimes there's a difference between, listen, what we know and then resting in what we know, if that makes sense. Because Lazarus has been dead for four days now. A lot of tears have been shed and they seem to be losing sight of the fact that the day's going to come when he's going to be resurrected. And there's oftentimes when situations are kind of a coin where on one side there's sorrow, but on the other hand, there's rejoicing. In fact, that has to be the case because we've been told to rejoice always in the Lord. And it seems in all the tears and all the emotions, there'd been the loss of the sight of the fact that, yeah, he's dead, but one day soon, 
He's going to be resurrected. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says, But I do not, do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. To be absent from the body as a believer is to be in the presence of the Lord. For Lazarus, it was in Abraham's bosom, but after the Lord would resurrect, he would take Lazarus and all those that, well, Lazarus would be resurrected before that, but all those there into glory. And we know when the Lord comes back, he's bringing back those that are dead in Christ with them, but their bodies will be resurrected. And he said, we're not like others who sorrow. We're not like others who have no hope. And Jesus was Lazarus' Lord. And absolutely, there was a place for these tears. There was this place for this sorrow. But it seemed like there wasn't a lot of talk about the hope that Lazarus had. It also seems that in all of the sorrow, there wasn't a balance of thanksgiving for his life. They're sad that he's gone, but you don't, mention, you don't hear anyone say, but Lord, we thank you for the days we had him. They don't run and say, listen, Lord, Lazarus is dead, but oh, Lord, thank you for blessing us with a brother. Thank you for the impact that he made on Bethany, the house of figs. Thank you, Lord, that he was a sweet soul. Thank you, God, for gifting him to us. It seems that there is a loss of sight of that. We got to remember that, listen, we don't have a continuing city here. All these things are going to come and they are going to go. But praise God, we have time here to come to know him, to impact others. We want to be thankful and we want to be grateful for that. Hebrews 13, 14, it says, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And you don't see anyone giving thanks to the Lord here. You don't read a one person saying, Lord, thank you for Lazarus. But it said, Lord, if you'd been here, I wouldn't have died. It grieves the Lord's heart when we just get consumed by, again, blaming him and even consumed by sorrow to the point where there's no thanksgiving. We're to give thanks in all things. I think he was also grieved and troubled because, again, they're leaning on their own understanding and all of it. As we've already mentioned, going so far to blame God. Lord, if you had been here. Again, we're told not to lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him and he shall direct our past, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You don't see them doing that. You don't see him saying, let's huddle up here. Listen, we know that God's on the throne. We know that God has a plan. Let's rest in him. Let's trust in him. But instead, they're over here talking about Jesus behind his back. If he had just been here, none of this had happened. You ever start a Sentence like that, if God just would have. None of us in this room, right? We never thought that way. That grieves his heart. He wants us to lean on him in faith. We can say, I don't know why he did it this way, but I do know this. That God works all things for good for those that love him and are called to his purposes. And absolute, listen, Lazarus knew the Lord. God had a call in his life. He loved the Lord. We know the Lord. We love the Lord. God's got a call in our life. And as much as we're confused, listen, we can rejoice because God's got a perfect land, plan. Let's stand in his promises, not our own understanding. Grieves the Lord's heart. He's saying, why are you leaning on your own understanding? Come and trust in me. And then I have to wonder as well if perhaps he was troubled in his spirit because as Lazarus laid there dead, Jesus knew that very soon he too would lay down his life and be put into a tomb for three days. And it makes me wonder, this is just my thought, if perhaps the agony of the cross was beginning to weigh upon his humanity. Notice Mark 14, 32. This is the night the Lord was betrayed. It says, then they came to the place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And we know Jesus is 100% God, but he's also a hundred percent man. And listen, this was kind of a preview of what the Lord was going to do, except the Lord wouldn't be four days in the grave, but three. It was a preview that he was the resurrection and the life. And listen, if he doesn't resurrect, there is no resurrection and there is no life. Now listen, in all of this, we can thank the Lord 
because he loves us and is so patient with us despite there being so much of what we do that at times he doesn't love, (laughs) that troubles him, that makes him grow, that, you know what, bothers him. Aren't you glad that he's faithful to us? He's so good to us. Verse 34, it says, and he said to them, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, we see the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. This is the verse where you say to a kid, hey, listen, if you memorize your verse, you get a gummy bear. And they say, oh, John 11, 35, Jesus wept. (laughs) So the Lord says, where do you lay him? Listen, he's not asking this to bring flowers. He has a greater plan in mind. And again, as it is the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, it says Jesus wept. And I think it's clear here, it seems more clear that he's <coughs> weeping over the death of Lazarus because, again, Jesus was a man. And you know what? It's awesome that in the midst, even again, as Jesus had the joy of the Lord and all that he did, he weeps over the death of a man. Even he weeps when the wicked died. Do you know that in the scriptures? Last week, we know that a, a, a serial pedophile, they say, took his own life. Some people are saying he must have been killed. Epson there in, in, in you know, that prison. And so many people even, on one hand, being sorrowful because they said he needed to be tried, and then others rejoicing, oh, good, he's dead. And I understand that, and I think we all can get that from the side of people want justice, and those are horrific crimes that seem to have been committed. But do you know when that guy died, whether it was him hanging himself from a sheet from a 10-foot ceiling, how he did that, I don't know. Or just someone coming in there and breaking his neck and strangling, which seems like more of the likely scenario. Do you know God grieved when that guy died? Listen to Ezekiel thirty-three, eleven. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? And the Lord's heart so much more would have been that that man would have repented. And I don't know his last moments or whatever, but the Lord grieves over the death even of the wicked. And let's make sure that we do the same thing. That absolutely, listen, God's a God of justice. And listen, he wants justice to prevail. And one day justice will totally prevail. There's a balance in these things. But let's not get so hard-hearted that we're just not in a place where we rejoice over the death of the wicked. But we would groan and say, oh, if the man would have only repented. If it would have came to the Lord. And so forth. Verse 36, it says, Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And again, they see Jesus and they see the love that the Lord had for Lazarus. And I, I really believe when you look at Jesus without an agenda, you're going to see the love of the Lord but you're also going to see the truth of the Lord and the judgment of the Lord. And if you're not seeing one of those aspects, then you're not seeing the Lord as he is. It seems like they, you know what, get a, get a glimpse into his person here. Wow, look at his love for them. And perhaps it set the tone for some of these people to come to faith. And then again, they begin to question, though, listen, he did all this. Why couldn't he do that? And they're standing from their viewpoint of things and then that timeline, and the Lord didn't raise them, raise Lazarus or didn't keep him from dying because the Lord had a better plan. The Lord was going to resurrect him four days later as a witness to these Jews of this great work he would do in the Father's name. And again, we got to be careful for falling in these traps. If there was a loving God, then why? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, people doing that all the time. God did this for me. Why couldn't God do that? Listen, in the Lord, is he your Lord today? Can you say men? He's got a better plan. He's got an eternal plan. Part of that plan might be you not getting that promotion or raise because he wants you to keep, keep you in a place where you're more dependent upon him. Who knows? His plan is better. And who are we to begin to get angry and question him and so forth? Listen, if we get what we deserve, all of us should be in hell right now. I think his plan was better to say, Adam, listen, 
I'm not just going to cast you into hell right now and wrap this whole thing up. Instead, I'm going to, you know what, promise a Savior is going to come and he's going to crush that serpent's head and his heel's going to be bruised for you to make a way of salvation. I think his plan was better, don't you? And then Jesus is still groaning over the whole matter. But again, praise God, he doesn't stop him. This doesn't stop him from doing what he set out to do. He doesn't come to this point and say, you know what, I was going to do that, but you know what, I'm just tired of this, I'm walking away. Have you ever done that? The Lord doesn't do that. I rejoice in that because I know that I frustrate the Lord at times. I frustrate myself. I must be frustrating him big time. But he doesn't stop. He's growing in himself, but he powers forward to the tomb and the cave and to the stone that was there wanting to roll the thing away. Verse 39, it says, Jesus said, take away the stone. This is hilarious here. Take away the stone. And then it says, Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead four days. Now listen, this is humorous to me because they had ran out to meet the Lord. She had ran out to meet the Lord. And then Mary went and met the Lord secretly. And they both said the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And then in return, the Lord says, well, get up and go roll away the stone. And then they come back with reasons why they can't do that. Lord, if we do that, it's going to stink. How many times are we like, Lord, if you had done this, this wouldn't have happened. And then in his word, he says, well, go do this. And we say, oh, I can't do that. If I do that, my life will stink. If I obey you, my life will stink. If I do my own thing, oh, my life will smell good. We're guilty of it at times. They start giving reasons why they can't do what the Lord tells them to go and do. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not, did I not say that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And again, they believed, but he was talking specifically about, again, they, they believed that he was the son of God, the Messiah, but now he's talking specifically if you believe. And listen, believing is seen more in our actions than our confession. In other words, if you believe, you've already been out there rolling away that stone and you're going to see the glory of God. And let's make sure we're not just a people that are, again, believing in confession only, but we're out there rolling away the rocks when the Lord says, get up and roll away the rock. But we don't fall into the trap. Well, yeah, I believe in the Lord, and he's told me to roll away this rock, but if I do that, it's going to stink. So listen, I believe, but I'm going to stand over here. Well, do you believe? James 2.26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And he's basically saying, listen, if, if you believe, that's going to be seen in your rolling away that rock. Verse 41, then they took away the stone. Praise God, they acted. They took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Two things here. Again, the act, praise God. Notice this action that they took, it went against the way normal men would act. Again, normal men would not roll away that stone because, again, there's been a dead body in there for four days. Listen, death put forth the worst smell imaginable. It's just horrific, especially four days dead. Normal men would not act in that way, but we talked about the fact the Lord is not normal and he's called us not to be normal either. Normal men don't spend 120 years building an ark when it's not raining on earth. Normal men don't send home uh, half their army when they're about to face a group that's been suppressing them for the last 50 years. And, you know, when Gideon said, listen, any of you guys that are scared, go home. Normal men don't do stuff like that. We're not called to be normal. It's usually the case when we obey the Lord, we're doing something abnormal from the flesh in the world. Something that goes against, again, our uh, fleshly unction. And then, again, they act in faith, and then we see really 
the crux for all of this. Why is, why is the Lord allowing this to happen? The one who he loved is dead. Lord, if he had been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus, why did you take two days to come to us? We went and gave you word and you're out there and you take, waited two days to come. And then you even told the disciples that you're glad you didn't go early because, uh, you know what? That, that, that they would come to more faith. But we, we don't get any of this, God. Why didn't you do it our way? And this is the main reason. Because he was concerned about those Jews that wanted to kill him. He had a heart, remember, in Passion Week, which is coming soon. He wept and he said, oh, how much I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. He wanted Israel, not just for a remnant to believe, but for all to believe. And he's been telling them of these witnesses of John the Baptist and the Father And then he's been pointing to the witness of the works that he was doing in the name of the Father. And he wanted them to be. And this is why he prays this way. Father, I thank you for you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So he's saying in the name of the Father, Lazarus, come forth. So they would see he's not doing what he did in conjunction with Beelzebub. That he wasn't some, you know what, magician over here yielding magic tricks that he would go there this dude's been dead for four days they saw him dead they put him in the tomb dead they roll back the tomb and no doubt stench came forth from it and the lord steps up in the name of the father come forth that they would see that they would believe jesus is acting with the unbeliever in mind wanting them to be saved and we need to be living with the unbeliever in mind wanting them to be saved as well can we say amen to that Continuing on, verse 43. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. What an awesome picture. I bet they were thinking, oh, okay, Lord, now I know why you waited to come. This is very similar to our salvation. Ephesians 2, 1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. We read in John 3 how the Lord came as the light of the world. And many either respond or they don't. We know the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. God is crying forth, crying out, come forth. But we say, yes, Lord, but we resist him. Lazarus responds, Lazarus comes forth physically he was dead and now he comes forth into physical life when the lord cries out to us and he's the act of party and we respond we go from spiritual death to spiritual life by grace alone through faith alone and him alone but listen it doesn't stop there he doesn't just call him forth but then he says listen get those grave clothes off him loose them and let him go and when we come to Christ, listen, we're forgiven, we're washed, we're a new creation in Christ, but did you, have you found that it seems like at times you're still bound up with things, where there's still grave clothes attached to us? And I believe part of the Christian life is that sanctification process of getting loose from these grave clothes, getting loose from bondages, from vices, from demonic strongholds, and so forth, a continual process of that abounding in him and growing in him, of again, casting off the works of darkness and putting on Christ, walking in the light as he is in the light. Verse 45, that many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen the things Jesus did, this is awesome, believed in him. How awesome, listen, many came dead to that funeral, but they left alive in Christ. There was a greater resurrection that happened here, so to speak, than Lazarus being resurrected. Listen, Lazarus would have been fine if he would have remained in that grave. He's down there in Abraham's bosom right now, you know, enjoying himself in a place of paradise, knowing Jesus would soon die on the cross, fulfill his faith, rip the doors off of Hades, take captivity captive. He'd be in the presence of the Lord. Lazarus is fine. Listen, when you're unbelieving, uh, when you're believing loved one dies, they're fine. They're in the presence of the Lord. There was a greater issue. There was a lot of Jews here that didn't have faith. They were dead in their sin. And the Lord allowed this to happen. Again, they came to this funeral dead, but they left alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the greater miracle here. 
they saw this and they responded. And listen, with this, listen, any pastor that doesn't clearly, clearly preach the gospel at a funeral or a memorial service should be immediately stripped of their ordination and never be allowed to preach again, in my opinion. People are coming there face to face with death and you're gonna get up here and you know what? Gingerly walk around the issue of you're gonna die soon and you're gonna stand before the living God and give an account for your life. Consider your ladder in, man, and call upon Christ and get saved. And yet, sadly, again, we're living in an era where oftentimes that's the case because, oh, boy, you know, we don't want to offend anybody. You know, you know, they're coming to a funeral. Yeah, they're, they're probably expecting to hear about life and death, but, oh, boy, we don't want to offend them. I've offended a few at a few funerals. <laughs> well, at least they heard the truth. Verse 46, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. How sad. How glorious verse 45 is. How sad verse 46 is. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, notice they didn't gather for a prayer meeting. Let's gather a council and said, what shall we do for this man works many signs? Again, some come to faith in Christ. Others harden their heart. They run off to snitch on Jesus to these Pharisees. Again, it says many come to the light. Others, sadly, all the more choose darkness. And again, you see this in our culture. There's still a remnant of people getting saved, but it seems like there's more and more, all the more siding with darkness, all the more hardening their hearts to the things of God. You see it in the world. Sadly, you see it a lot, even in what's called Christianum. And then these guys say, listen, he works all these signs. What should we do? How about repent and believe? But notice, they're not concerned with eternal matters. They're just fixated with their 70 years here on earth. Verse 48, if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Listen. They're consumed with temporary things. If we let this continue, we're going to lose our place here. They're not concerned with their place in heaven. They're not concerned with the fact that the Messiah is right before them, fulfilling all of these scriptures. They've gotten so hard-hearted. It's more about them and them being their own God and their own place here on earth. The Lord did not come to, again, establish a temporary kingdom, but a heavenly one. Sadly, listen, if they actually would have all repented, if all Israel would have come to faith at that point, the exact opposite of the thing they thought would happen wouldn't, would have happened or wouldn't have happened. I lost my train of thought in that sentence. But listen, they, they were saying if we don't stop them, we're going to lose our place. But they actually lost their place because they tried to stop them. And if they would have fell down and repent, listen, things would have unfolded a whole lot differently. But since they rejected them and only a, re, a remnant believed, God scattered them in 70 AD. And yet again, praise God, he's faithful when we're faithless. He's regathered them in the last days. And listen, don't be ignorant concerning Israel. 98% or 97% are not believers in Christ. You don't go to heaven because you're a Jew. You only go because you are born again in Christ. But because of God's faithfulness, he's gonna bring all of Israel into salvation. Go read Romans. All of Israel will be saved. And listen, that's something to rejoice in because as God's been faithful to Israel, he'll be faithful to you. And also don't fall into the trap of worshiping Israel. We need to pray for her peace. Practically, she is a great ally to us in the Middle East. But listen, Israel does a lot of evil things too. And some Christians fall into this place of Jew worship and stuff. We're called to be worshipers of Jesus, to pray for the Jews and Gentiles' salvation to absolutely stand in the truth of God's word. Listen, Israel becoming a nation again is one of the greatest evidences of God's word being prophetic. It's against all odds that it's happened. And I know some people say, well, listen, the Jews run Hollywood and it's grossly evil. Yeah, that's pretty much right. 
There's Jews in, in the high places, and they're, 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 many of them are the wicked people that run the world. And yeah, that's, that's actually true. Does that not all the more show how great God's grace is? That he would bring all of her into salvation? Again, people start separating in that. Well, how can God save them if they're there? How did God save me where I was where I was at? It's all the more to the glory of God. Quickly here, 49 through 52. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it's expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also for also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Listen, Caiaphas truly prophesied, but he didn't understand his own prophetic word. He thought he's going to die to preserve us so we don't lose our place. Versus understanding, no, he was going to die to make a way of salvation for Israel and for all nations. Verse 53, then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. And this prophecy of Caiaphas, with the false interpretation of that prophecy, emboldened them all the more in their sin, thinking they were doing the will of God. Thinking that what they were doing was upright, when what they were doing was so wrong. And it seems that the more folks harden their hearts and become more blinded, they oftentimes get more emboldened in their own sin. It's interesting, we're in a time right now where we're seeing many people who were professing Christians for many, many years that even had large ministries coming to these places of renouncing their faith. And then we see them turning and being very bold in their new thought to put it forth. Being very bold about that. And it's like, well, if you don't believe that and you led people astray for 20 years, maybe you should just go away for the next 10 versus standing up and, well, now I'm the voice of reason. You know, you think of this guy, Joshua Harris, if you've been following that at all. And you see that with these guys. Again, they're wrong, but they're emboldened in their falsehood because of the hardening of their heart. Verse 54, I'm almost done here. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there he remained with his disciples. Now listen, Jesus is moving with wisdom. He removes himself at this point because it wasn't time for him to lay down his life. And we've talked about the fact he wasn't going to die by stoning, but he would lay down his life and be crucified. So he goes away, but soon he would be back. We're on the cusp again of Passover coming. We're on the cusp of Passion Week. And he would walk among them. He would weep over them. He would rebuke them for a week. And then he would lay down his life and he would take it up to save any of them that would call on his name. And finally, 55, it says, and the Passover of the Jews was near And many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Again, all these murmuring, whispering circles here. They still haven't had a prayer meeting. What do you think? It's like they're loving the drama here. And they're in the temple doing this. How sad. It's like people plotting and scheming and scamming, right? You know, in the midst of church and Sadly, that happens at times. What do you think? Of course he's going to show up. He, not, he, he fulfilled the law. This is one of the three required feasts for all Jews to keep. And then 57, it says, Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. Listen, this strategy hadn't worked to this point. Uh, no one would seize him. Ultimately, he would lay his life down, and again, he would take it back up. He's already talked about this in John, that he has the authority to lay it down. He had the authority to take it back up. We even read there in John, and we'll get to it down the road, Lord willing, where that night they come to get him. And he says, I am he. And what do they all do? They all fall, you know, they all fall down like a bunch of dominoes. And then they foolishly get back up. Let's get them now. Even to the end, the Lord wanting to bring them to repentance. So a lot for us to consider here, a lot for us to think about. Let's stand up and pray right now and close with the last worship song this morning. 
Heavenly Father, we bless you. We praise you this day. We just thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you, God, for your patience, your long-suffering with us. Lord, we thank you that you have a better plan. I pray, God, that we'd be found, God, not leaning on our own understanding, but acknowledging you, God, in all our ways, God. Lord, this morning, God, you know the hearts of all men here. Lord, you know all of us and where we are, God. I thank you, Lord, for those here that have called upon your name and just pray your blessing on them. And Lord, if any of us here have gotten away from the way of the Lord, God, just draw us back even this morning, God. Give us that faith we need to say, listen, it's time to lay down this nonsense to get about the business of the Lord. And Lord, you know any here today that perhaps don't know you. And I I don't know hearts of the people here, but you do, God. And I know this, God, that you are desiring for all to be saved. Your word says, whoever calls upon your name will be saved. And listen, if you're here today and you haven't called upon Christ, today is a day of salvation. If we die in our sin, we die separated from him, from him forever in a place called hell, under condemnation. But Jesus came to give life. And he defeated death and sin in his resurrection. And if you call on him to be your Lord, which means you're repenting from sin and asking him to lead your life, the Bible says he'll save you. And if that's you this morning, you're saying, yes, Steve, I want to I wanna call on his name. Listen, I would love to lead you in a prayer that, that aligns with the faith in your heart of calling upon Jesus. And if you know him today, I want to invite you to pray with any today that would be calling on the name of the Lord. Let's, let's just close here praying together, then we'll worship the Lord. Just pray with me today. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're calling me. And Lord, I want to respond. I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the grave to give me life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Wash me and cleanse me and make me whole. I thank you, Lord. Lord, just bless any that have prayed that prayer today. And Lord, let us just finish well right now, lifting our voices to you. Bless the food made out there to our bodies and the rest of our morning. We thank you, God. Let's worship the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For He is good. He is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, His love endures forever. And for the life that's been reborn, His love endures forever. Sing Forever.
Listen, there's food out there that's been made. Go enjoy that. Bless someone. And uh, God bless you guys in the Lord Jesus Christ.